Hello and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Ginny. And today we're talking about Never Leave Me and Long Day's Journey. Mm-hmm. When we really get into it, you can explain to me why this episode of Buffy is called Never Leave Me, because I, I know. don't understand. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, both of these are pretty poor titles. I mean, Long yeah. Day's Journey makes sense, but it's not, like, good. <laughs> yeah. But before we start talking about those, how are you doing today? <laughs> well, we just had a pretty long session, but um, wow. good. Uh, I did a little whirlwind trip to Boston this weekend, and we got back late last night, so... But I... We kind of didn't really sleep the very much the two previous nights. So last night was like the first night I've had a good night's sleep. But so I f- actually feel pretty good. A little disoriented because like similar experience. With yeah. sleep this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So I feel okay. But you know that disoriented feeling of like I was just somewhere else and now I'm back home and it's like what did did that even happen? You, you know, know like I oh, think about this oops. a lot. Like. <laughs> modern travel compared to like how people used to travel yeah. first of all people used to travel it used to take a lot longer so they would stay a lot longer when right. they went somewhere but I do think about that sometimes the like whiplash you get of mm-hmm. like yesterday I was in like Europe and today I'm in San Francisco and it's like it's possible to do that but is that a good thing yeah <laughs> like like mentally it's kind of hard to wrap your brain I mean around. it doesn't really matter but it is a little bit weird um yeah. I did worry about my cat the whole time because we didn't oh. have anyone check on her but she was fine so that was good oh and we ate almost exclusively at Flower Bakery. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. Honestly, it's just as good as I remember. I mean, it's a little, it's definitely different. Um, well, they've expanded quite It's so a big. Bit. Yeah, we didn't go to the yeah. original one. We went to this one that was just like two seconds from our hotel. I mean, mostly it was because like, it was just this really whirlwind trip and there was just a lot of last minuteness to it. So it was like, screw it, whatever. Anyway, I have some cookies to uh, get into after we finish recording. So I'm pretty psyched about that. <laughs> you know, they, um, like, cause you know, as I think any business expands, like they do become a little bit different, but like, I, this is like to my like eternal regret. Every time I go on like a business trip to Boston, I am never near a flower bakery. Oh and man. So, like, I actually like haven't gone. There's so many, but I just like, am never staying near one mm-hmm. or at least not one that I can easily get to. And like, mm-hmm. I just like, I follow them on Instagram and they're always updating the menu and mm-hmm. there's always like 10 things I want to go try and I'm always so sad because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go to flower. Yeah, I did. Uh, that I decided that the they make a roast chicken sandwich. That has been on the menu for over a decade. It's identical, exactly the way I remembered. It was so good. <laughs> the only thing is that when I used, I used to eat it when I was vegetarian, so I would just put cheese on it instead of chicken, but I just added cheese to the chicken sandwich, and then I called it a day, and it was great. I kind of wish I had gotten one without chicken, though, just to be old-time sake, but it was so good. It was exactly and what I And they have all their was. Halloween stuff out right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we ate a coconut cream pie, a Boston cream pie, uh, carrot cake, which is without question my favorite carrot cake. Um, yeah, it was good. And a, some, a chocolate chip cookie, also the best chocolate chip cookies. I like don't really like buying chocolate chip cookies. I really only like eating ones that I make, but those ones were good. But those are the ones that you make, so... No, they're actually... I actually don't make that recipe, but maybe I should go back to it. Some, well, you're right. Sometimes we make that one, but mostly I make the Martha Stewart one. Okay. Or one of... Martha I, Stewart has I a couple, I just but. know that having lived with you for a time, Which, sir, we there do was definitely. a lot of making <laughs> of that recipe, so... You're right. Yes, we have done that, but... Anyway, so... Uh. Now I'm back home. My cat's fine. So 
That's good. It's all good. Oh, I'm so jealous now. I'm so hungry. I'm like, I just want to go to Flower, and it's I not going to happen. What we have. Although I am I going ha- to Boston in a few weeks, and I'm like, you just go but I won't be, again, I won't be anywhere near a flower bakery. So. But as we, we were just discussing, Boston, disgusting. As we were just discussing, Boston is not that big, so you're kind of always close to one. Um, well, no, if I stay with Claire, like, oh, okay, I'm, that's not because she's like not in Boston, mm-hmm. so it's like a bit of an effort, and like she doesn't want to drive me anywhere, so okay, all right, <laughs> I have to choose my battles, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know, we'll see, maybe I'll like venture out or something, although I'm really only going to be there like during the week and working, so like that's going to make it really tough, mm-hmm. hmm. Well, maybe next time, but uh. I'm anyway. so jealous right now. You didn't tell me this. We were talking before, and you did not at all mention that you well, went to flower. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were talking about other things. Um, I this did, is for the cameras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a raspberry crumb bar waiting for me, which was also oh, one of my favorite stop. things. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is a PSA for anyone going to Boston. Yeah, check it out, flower man. Flower Bakery is so good. <clears throat> oh, my God. Um, well, I also, like, had some early morning, like, lack of sleep times because I went again we my friend and I did this like crazy thing we've been doing lately while the weather has been amazing in California we've been going hiking in places that you shouldn't be able to go hiking in in late October Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but the weather is beautiful so we we drove like four hours yesterday to Sierra Buttes which is like you like drive up to this mountain and you like think you're gonna die because it looks so steep but the trailhead is like that well, the trailhead that we went to is only like two and a half miles from the peak, so like really not not that bad of a hike. Um, I was kind of joking. I was like, "Why do we always drive four hours for the hikes that are like five miles total?" <laughs> <laughs> but they're pretty steep. Like my calves are pretty dead today. But like, yeah, it was like one of those things where like I got picked up like before six a.m. Yeah. So like <clears throat> saw the sunrise and all that. So like I did the same thing last night. I like slept for like twelve hours. Like I was so tired. And it's been so windy here that like you know it wasn't exactly restful after mm-hmm. a certain amount of time. But. Um, yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, and I got to see beautiful fall foliage, which I didn't even know existed in California. So that was okay. a lovely surprise. Like we were in this tiny little mountain town. I mean, the town was like two cross streets. Like it was so small. And there was like this little bridge over a river and it was framed by like, you know, leaves that are turning color and the leaves were like slowly drifting down. I was like, what movie have I stepped into? This is amazing. <laughs> like, I just didn't know that existed in California. So that was, like, the silver lining, I think. And then we did the hike, and we get to the top, and, like, it was high up there, and it was windy, and you climb these, like, metal stairs at the end. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, had – I don't really have a fear of heights, but sometimes I'm just, like, really aware of my own humanity. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. Or, or, I guess, mortality, I should say. And I was, like, if something horrible were to happen right now, like, this is not a great place to be in. <laughs> so – um, you know, got to get some adrenaline going too. So yeah. Um, yep. But now I'm back and it's Sunday and my legs are sore. So mm-hmm. it's been a good weekend. We also watched some Buffy. We did. And some Angel. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to talk about these episodes because with both of them, I feel like I, I'm still not sure how I felt about them. Yes. And like, maybe this will help me shake it no, out. No, I totally agree. I'm like, I didn't feel negative about them, but I didn't like them. Yeah, I was so, like, I... solid medium. I mean, it's so hard with Angel, right? Because it's like such a I low know. bar that I don't even recognize my own feelings anymore. <laughs> and then with Buffy, I just like really didn't know 
Well, we'll talk yeah, about so it. Yeah, so we should talk about um, it. Okay. Yeah, so let's jump into it. So let's jump into Never Leave Me. Um, source of that title, unknown. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can hash that out, too. I don't know. Um, so we've got... We pick up pretty much right where we left off. So Spike has been discovered to have been snacking on humans, and it's clear that he's not really in his right mind. And turns out what Buffy meant by Spike staying there is that they're going to tie him up and he's staying there as a prisoner. Um, So she ties him to a chair. She gets some blood for him. She's interrogating him, and she's figuring out, like, you know, she's talking to a pretty lucid Spike who doesn't seem to know anything that's been going on doesn't remember anything he's been doing but they kind of have you know a bit of a heart to heart like spike is telling her like a little bit more about how he got his soul like what's been going on they're not really making any headway into like what's been causing you know him to go out and eat people like buffy's reporting back saying like i just don't know like he doesn't seem like someone who would be doing that he doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to know what's going on meanwhile um willow decides like okay i'm gonna go out and get some blood for spike and given that he's been eating humans, like, he's going through pretty serious withdrawal, but they're, of course, not going to offer up more human blood for him, so Willow goes to the butcher shop um, to get blood. And while there, who does she run into but our last remaining member of the trio, Andrew, buying blood as well, um, and a whole host of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he's buying animal blood because it turns out his killing of Jonathan didn't actually do what it was supposed to do, and the whatever ritual he was hoping to kick off didn't work. So that seal that we saw them digging up is still closed. Um, And now we see Ghost Warren and Ghost Jonathan talking to Andrew, and Warren is still kind of egging him on, and Jonathan is like, hey, you know, it's better now. I'm in a great place. Like, you know, death wasn't that bad. And, oh, sorry, my blood wasn't enough to kick off this ritual. So poor Andrew is, like, trying to keep things going and he runs into willow which is obviously a huge shock because the last time he saw willow she was like dark haired and trying to kill mm-hmm. him um so she does kind of try to capitalize on, on that and threaten him even though he's like hey your hair's red again like what's going on um so she drags him back to buffy's house so now they've got two prisoners they've got spike tied up and andrew tied up and um buffy's still trying to figure out what spike knows and Anya and Xander play good cop, bad cop with Andrew trying to figure out him. Mm -hmm. So now, unbeknownst to um, Buffy and friends, they've got two people in their house who are seeing this, like, presence. Um, And while Buffy's checking in on Andrew and that situation, she comes back to the room where she's holding Spike and she hears him um, talking to someone. And we know that he's talking to this presence that he sees but it sounds like he's just talking to himself and that he's singing so Buffy's hearing the singing and Spike like goes off like he attacks Buffy he breaks out of the chair and then in what can only be described as cool he reaches through the wall (laughs) and grabs Andrew who has also like is being in the midst of like being attacked by Anya and he's like in the midst of like confessing like what is going on yeah. <laughs> um, to Anya and Xander but Spike like brings him through the wall and then like chomps down on his neck so Buffy gets the hold of the situation separates them um, they tie Andrew back up and Spike gets chained up in the basement so 
Buffy and Spike are having this conversation. Spike kind of comes back to his right mind. He's like, hey, what happened? Buffy's like, you went off. Like, Xander thinks it's a trigger. Like, they think you're kind of some sort of sleeper agent. Because meanwhile, they've kind of come to this conclusion after seeing the song set him off. Um, Buffy remembers there was a song in the basement as well. And Spike is pretty much like, hey, look, just kill me. Like, mm-hmm. this is not going to end anywhere good. Buffy's not going to kill him. They're having this chat, and a whole bunch of minions break into the, the house. They break down the front door. They come in through all the windows. They're pretty much attacking everybody, and they figure out once the dust settles, everybody's okay, Spike is gone. They've clearly come to, uh, to take Spike. And it also mid-fight looked like the orders were also to kill Andrew. So um, Buffy stops them from killing Andrew, but Spike is gone. And we see at the end of it that um, Spike is rigged up in the school basement over the seal and is being bled to open, like finish this ritual with his blood. And um, meanwhile, while this is happening, Buffy comes to a realization of who they're fighting um, because she's seen these guys before. Like, these, we saw these little soldier guys back in, or minions back in season three, when Buffy interacted with the first evil. And so she realizes, oh, this thing that we've all been seeing, these these ghosts, like, all these things, it's all the same thing. We're seeing the first evil. That's who we're up against. Um, so knowing that, we see this ritual completed, and the first says, have you ever seen a real vampire? And... What pops out of this seal once it's opened is presumably a real vampire, which looks a lot like the master and mm. just clearly lethal. So that's what they're up against. And then also yeah. in the background of all of this, <laughs> as if it's not enough, um, Buffy is desperately trying to get a hold of Giles because some big stuff is going yeah. on. She wants his advice and she can't reach him. So she calls the Watcher's Council and says, hey, I know you know how to get in contact with him. As usual, Quentin Travers gives her the runaround, hangs up the phone, says, okay, she has no idea what's going on. We need to get a hold of Rupert Giles. So they clearly don't have any contact with him either. Um, but it's also clear that they kind of know something's going on and they're not sharing with Buffy. And at the end of the episode, once Buffy has figured out it's the first, we learn that the Watcher's Council has already known this, mm-hmm. has declined to share with Buffy as per usual, and is also tracking these attacks that are happening or seem to be tracking these attacks happening across the globe. Um, and they're, like, marshalling their forces. We're going to take this thing down. Let's, you know, get serious. And the whole building blows up. So it's clear that the first is waging a war against this machinery that's in place to fight evil, trying to take down Buffy locally in Sunnydale and also the Watcher's Council as well. Yeah. Um, And we still don't know where Giles is. So that's pretty much it. I so, forgot yeah, that that happened to know. the Watchers Council. So I will say that I did not, I was like, but I oh, right. I didn't forget, but I was kind of waiting. I wasn't sure what episode it was in, and then when we were spending so much time with them, I was like, oh right, okay, mm-hmm. this is it. And but what I was really wondering after watching this episode was like, the first clearly, like we see the first guiding a lot of people like without their control like spike has become kind of a sleeper um we also i forgot to mention it but we do see principal wood go into the basement and take jonathan's body and bury him yeah so what i really wasn't clear on and i don't know if this ever gets answered but who set the bombs because was it like these priest guys that come in or was it like one of the watchers working under like um 
I think you, I think either of those explanations makes sense. I think it is not hard to imagine that the way that the first has been visiting all of the Scoobies as like somebody influential to them had just happened to somebody else in London or whatever. Right. Like maybe it was not even somebody in the Watchers Council. Like that doesn't seem that tough to pull off. No. Although that point. And I just want to state for the record that. I wasn't really that sad to see the Watchers. Nope, not at all. Up. It felt kind of cathartic. Like, it's like yeah. especially in an episode where Quentin Travers is, is being being a real such a dick, a real to ding, ding hall. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, okay, well, I don't care. You deserve this. Mm-hmm, like, agreed. maybe if you had shared your information months ago, this wouldn't have happened to yeah. you. So whatever. No, like, I totally lesson agree. not learned. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, what do you think about Buffy? Like, pretty immediately being like oh, this is who we're dealing with. Because honestly, I kn- this is what we've been trying to dance around like the whole time. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, this is the first. We know it's the first because we've seen this before. But we haven't seen these like priests since season three. So we've seen them a bit throughout this season. But in retrospect, like coming in blind to this for the first time, like I'm not sure after four seasons, I would have immediately recognized who they were. No, I totally agree. And in fact, I think the first time I watched this, I was like, what, (laughs) you know? And it's like, maybe after she says it and spells it out, then you're kind of like, oh, I kind of remember that episode. Yeah. I, that's definitely one of the things that I did not like about this episode. In fact, Buffy wasn't really my favorite in this episode, but yeah, I, I, something about her, like, I thought that dialogue was pretty clunky. Like, it was just very, like, oh, I've seen this before. It is dot, dot, dot. The first, you know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of hokey. And then it was I... like, I, expository, right? Yeah, like, Buffy's yeah. Like, okay, like, instead of us being, like, someone being, like, oh, where have I seen them before? You know, and she's like, oh, this is who we're up against. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, it was just a little too pat or something. Like, I don't know. And I think... Again, I know I've already kind of voiced this as a complaint, but that is pretty much my complaint about... That is, as I recall, my issue with season seven is primarily that I just don't really like the first as a villain. I think it's just so vague. It's so... Like, even in that season three episode, it's not really my favorite, but because it's so, like, used to tell the story about Angel, I think in that one kind of, you know, compact episode, it works okay to kind of be like, well, it can just kind of be a symbol. For one episode, I'm okay with a villain that's just a symbol. It's probably not what I said when we reviewed that episode, but you know what I mean? Like, in retrospect, like, I, I something like this certainly functions better in a limited scope or for a very specific function. So I, this is where it's like trying to tease it out as a season-long enemy. On the one hand, I understand that, like, thematically having her something that's called the first and going back to basics and going to the root of evil is a thing that makes a lot of sense for the arc of this entire series but in this in episode by episode it's just so difficult to like what is it (laughs) you know (laughs) I think that's what I really don't like so yeah then adding to that that Buffy is just so like succinct and on the nose about what her what it is is like kind of counter to like the way that the villain has felt so far which is like very unknowable so it's just I feel like there's a lot of contradictions going on and I don't feel like they're contradictions that are working towards a point. I think they're just getting a little bit sloppy. Yeah. And I also think the problem of plucking a villain out of like Buffy's rogues gallery, as it were, is like, (laughs) I agree with you that the first works better on a kind of a one-off rather than like a sustained effort that Buffy has to fight. But like, you know, I think usually at this point it wouldn't bother me so much that we don't really know the motivation, but like, because the first is so unknowable, like it's really unclear what the motivation is. And if this is like essentially the embodiment of all evil, 
um, why focus so much on Buffy, but also... Well, exactly. And also, but, like, it's been four years since Buffy fought the first, essentially. So why take so long? Like, it seems like a being like this wouldn't need four years to, like, hash out a plan. Or, like, maybe the idea is, like, Buffy just got the first attention at that point and then has steadily been eroding, you know, evil, Mm -hmm. like, basically winning the fight. And maybe that's why now. But, like, it just seems a little bit like why now is the question. Like, when you pull, some like, a demon out that we haven't thought about or remembered in four years... And, and who also seemed more inclined to be interested in Angel at the time. Like, it it does feel like an odd choice, and it feels, like, so unspecific that they can't... Like, the story just doesn't feel very focused. Right, like, right. What is the point of all of this? And yeah. I think we talked about that a little bit last time, is, like, what's the why of all of this? And yeah. I feel like uncovering who the villain is and who they're fighting doesn't really help with that. Like, okay, and then also, like, this ritual at the end is, like opens up this seal and it's a bit anticlimactic like oh we've got <laughs> one vampire um yeah all right what's well, the why I'm, like <laughs> i think kind of the so the secondary issue i think with all of this is i just don't think whatever they're trying to do with spike is really working for me like there were parts of this episode that i kind of liked like i do feel like he is being pretty reasonable as a character at this moment you know where he's like you should kill me because I know right and wrong now, you know, like he has a pretty objective view, I think about what's going on. Maybe not about him and Buffy's emotions, but about like the facts of the situation. And I think it's a little bit noble that he's like, look, I am in a bad place and I'm going to keep be getting used as a tool. Please kill me. I don't want to do this. You know? So like, I, I think that was kind of nice. And I, I liked that him and Buffy finally did also have to reckon with like kind of the, you know, her fault. Well, you know, is this really fair when Spike ultimately is the one who's, who without question crossed the line in their relationship and prop, you know, maybe doesn't ever deserve to be forgiven, at least by her that aside, <laughs> um, you know, I think he said some things that she needed to, to hear, which is that like at the time when they were going through this nonsense relationship in season six, he never really pressed her, even though she was used, treating him badly and using him. So I don't know, I guess like, I feel like some things were said that should have been said. And I think Spike is reacting in a way that is reasonable. But then as soon as they take it out of the like, p- kind of practical and like, objective, and they tried to get into their emotions, I thought that also kind of fell apart for me. You know, no. like where he's like, oh, you only want to be with guys that make you feel bad. And she's like, you don't know me. And I was like, this whole conversation is I could really go without it. <laughs> I don't really I like either you. of you and right now. <laughs> so I kind of want to talk about that conversation a little bit because I mostly agree with you. Like it felt really out of place and like really not consistent with like. I just was uninterested. Yeah. Them. But what it did make me wonder is like. The thing that piqued my interest about that conversation was this idea that Spike is trying to tell Buffy like oh, you're so damaged, you only want men that hurt you, like, which, as much as, like, her relationship with Spike was really dysfunctional and unhealthy, I never really got that sense that that's what she wanted from him, like, it was more about, like, he, like, to her, he didn't matter because he was dead and, like, all of that, but, like, him trying to be, like, oh, you just want people who hurt you felt like kind of a leap, but also it gave me pause because I was, like, oh, what is the version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Or this show, like, what's the FX or, like, HBO version of this show where the Slayer is, like, an anti-hero and she's, like, yeah. the damaged main character <laughs> yeah. and, like, all this. And, like, for a split second, I was, like, 
that's what this would be. And like, yeah. it's not uninteresting, but it also to me is like not really it's the not right the show. It's yeah. It's not the tone of this yeah. because I feel like on balance, like even as Buffy has grown up and like they keep fighting evil day after day and she kind of got to the point where she was like, when does this stop? Like enough is enough. But I feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer's show has never really lost its hope. Right. And like its general sense that like they're doing the right thing and that they're just people like, like normal people who are like stuck in this battle or they want to be normal people. But like, I feel like going down this path of like damaged anti-heroine and like, you know, trying to delve into that part of Buffy's psyche, like really just kind of isn't the same show. And so I was thinking about that because I don't really know what's going on with it, but wasn't there like talk about reviving the concept of Buffy and that it was going to be like, I thought it was like FX or something. I mean, yeah, that's Um, definitely as far as I know, still happening. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh, I, I hope this isn't what's happening. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like a 2019 version of Buffy is like, I can understand the temptation to make it really dark and, um, like really explore this like kind of anti-hero kind of thing but Buffy was never an anti-hero no she's a pretty solid hero (laughs) yeah yeah no I agree uh yeah hmm hmm yeah anyway that's the mental road I went down after that scene I see yeah oh no (laughs) hmm yeah well Um, yeah also in that scene we you were it's funny you mentioned because um Buffy is essentially having this heart-to-heart with Spike about their relationship in a way, and also Spike is trying to tell her, like, trying to goad her into killing him. But he is kind of... It's it's very vague because this is an 8 p.m. show, um, but he seems to be re- alluding to raping and killing young girls, right? Totally. Like, that yeah. seems to be what he's talking about. And I had this moment where I was like, you know, we talk about this so much, and I know it's, like, it's territory that we've like beaten to death but like <laughs> what is the threshold here for like forgiving spike because i was like i guess i've never really spent enough energy thinking about william the bloody's background because all we really talked about was like oh he got his nickname because he used to kill his victims with railroad spikes and like you know all these things but like that is an allusion to a really dark past and it's also fresh because it's something that spike essentially was like almost doing to Buffy and I'm just like what is the capacity here for forgiveness because this is in the same scene where Buffy is immediately like oh no 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 like you're not that person you tried to you went and got your soul and like it's definitely weighing his past against like his chance at redemption and I was just thinking like at what point do you write someone off because it's true that this is Spike's history but it's also true that he did go and seek out a soul so I mean again I don't wants to be better and I'm like oh this is like reform like how how much do you let someone try to be better than they were and how much is like they're just beyond saving I mean I I I have some answers I don't know if they're good trying to confess to a lot of things and Buffy's just kind of like no 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 well that was what bothered me I didn't like Buffy's reactions in that moment I thought Spike saying and admitting all that stuff, I I actually thought was like, I don't want to say refreshing, but I, 
like when he brought up Don into it, I felt like he's really trying to reckon with what he's done because he has the capacity now to see it for what it was. And I guess yeah. I appreciated that. It's the first time that I really felt like he was really apologizing and taking ownership kind of of like his past, you know, knowing that like, yes, without a quote unquote soul, he was a different, you know, quote unquote person. And so like what rules apply and don't apply, whatever we've, you know, got some pretty vague answers on that, I would say overall, but I thought he was being, I don't want to say admirable because that's not really what I mean, but something, something in that realm. Um, and going back to it, I mean, I don't know what did he do to young girls? It could have been anything. It might've just been sticking, just been, it might've been sticking them with railroad spikes. I just, I, I don't really have a problem forgiving him for those things only because that is literally the exact plot for Angel. You know, his entire so Angel has done that. If not, I think Angel probably Angelus may have done even worse things than William the Bloody ever did. You know, like Spike is just kind of or William the Bloody was just a little more like um, flamboyant about it. But I don't feel like the implication was ever that Angelus wasn't worse. So I no, don't know. no, and so but that's I what know. I'm. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, at what point, like, to kind of buy all of this, do you have to kind of just essentially put out of your mind like what these people have done? I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't really. I haven't really been thinking about it, but mostly because I don't think there's some. There's not very good answers, or the really good answer is we've all tried to agree that no soul means one thing and soul means another. So, you know, that's the line, at least in the way the show is written and it's mystical and magical. So I feel like there is this like distance from reality where it's like, I don't feel like I'm making a judgment on the real world when I forgive Spike or Angel or allow them to be seen as good, you know, post vampire life, because it just, I, at the end of the day, it's not that I don't think shows mean anything or have some symbolism, but I, for me personally, I am able to, I think to just keep the distance of like, well, this is a show about vampires and vampires don't really exist. So the moral implications of vampires don't weigh on me as heavily as some other things might. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I just mean, that's fine it, if somebody like has different reading. The show has never just... had a consistent answer to it. And I just like hearing Spike talk about his past deeds in like such stark like language. Also, I, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is who Buffy has like in her house right now. Well, like, yeah. I just it's not I'm not saying like, yeah, no, the, I, the show has clearly tried to make this dividing line that they've blurred a bunch of times, which doesn't help. But you know, I, I think what I was trying to say yeah. is like, I kind of think Spike does deserve a chance at redemption if he did make, take all these steps to get a soul, try to be a better person. But how far can you go in like forgetting what he did do? I mean, that's the whole premise of Angel. So right. like, <laughs> you can't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's a perfect answer and I'm not really looking for one, but I was, I guess I was surprised that I thought about this to more of a degree than usual. Like usually it's kind of a, a thing to sort of, it's not the same as like suspending disbelief, but like you just right, kind of right. suspend your like deep thoughts about it and right. like enjoy the show. But I, I don't know. I found it kind of difficult in this episode. You know, I didn't have the exactly what you're describing. What, what I did kind of end on def, or land on definitively in that scene also though, was like, you know, obviously you and I have talked about this a lot and Anya even brings it up in this episode, but like it really did. I think, make, uh, how, how did I write it when I was watching this? Um, shoot. I thought I wrote down a great thought about this, but I just, 
think this is definitive that yes, Buffy is using different measurements for Spike than she was for Anya. I, I the way that she was responding to him really bothered me on those grounds of it's like, well, you and I, I don't know. We kind of try to defend her as like pretty much always making the right choices. And I'm, it's not even that I think she's doing the wrong thing. It just really feels like she's not admitting that her personal feelings are playing into it. And that really grated on me where I was just like, oh, you're literally standing there and telling Spike how good of a person he can be. I mean, again, did Anya didn't ask for help and she kind of really committed. She kind of did the opposite of recommitting herself to evil instead of looking for a way to redeem herself. So I know that it's different, but it just bothered me the way Buffy spoke to him. I'm fine with giving him a chance, but I didn't. I don't know this like I see good in you kind of was or maybe again, I just thought it was cheesy and that that bothered me a little bit, too. Or it's just like, I don't know, something a little less saccharine, I think, would have been more appropriate in her response to him. I feel like she got very like preachy about it in a, and it just didn't sit with me again because yeah kind of because of what you're saying because like he's really going into his deepest darkest self and kind of putting that out there and instead of saying like I'm willing to give you a chance and I think you can prove yourself that she said to him like you're a good you know I'm not quoting her I know she didn't say this but like I felt like she kind of gave him this very like oh you're I know you there's good in you and I just thought like that was the wrong answer <laughs> Well, and it's so unclear, like, does Buffy truly believe that? Is Buffy trying to just keep Spike right, calm right, because she needs right. him for this? And it's like, it doesn't help, too, that, like, Willow and Dawn are having this conversation where they're trying to determine this exact same thing. Is like, what is Buffy's endgame here? Like, what is she trying to do with Spike? And, and Willow's trying to say we should trust her, like, she has a strategy. And Dawn's kind of like, well, what if it, you know, like, what is it? And, like... I think the problem is that we don't know. The show doesn't really seem to know. And Buffy herself is not really signaling whether this is a strategy or whether she really believes this. And it does feel so in character of Buffy to just look past all of this. But, Mm -hmm. like, I just want her at some point to recognize her own biases. Exactly. Same. Yes. (laughs) I'm not giving you the same treatment. But, like, it, it because I think the show is just not doing a great job of showing where that line is yeah and, no and maybe I there isn't so, one maybe like maybe the point is that Buffy herself isn't aware of it but it's kind of painful to watch that scene and then to have Willow trying to justify these actions to Dawn and it's like oh Willow like you yeah <laughs> don't know no. what you're talking about <laughs> yeah I guess I guess at the end of the day nobody knows what they're talking about but none of them will admit it and it just makes it frustrating because it's like I don't yeah, yeah it, I'm yes yes I sort of am at the point where it's like, I don't really care what you guys are going to do, but just say you're going to do it and then stop trying to come up with all these excuses for your decisions. Like, yeah. you want to forgive Spike I mean, because you still have feelings for him? Fine by me. I don't care. But just admit it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and this is also an episode where we have them playing with Willow's recent past of flaying people alive. True, yeah. So it's like... We're all I, over the place, I just, yeah. I think you. I think we just have to, like... Or I am just determined that I guess I just have to get over it. And yeah, like I don't think we're going to get like, good answers for that. Because I yeah. think they kind of threw that... They blew that stuff up last season. I yeah. think. And they really... Yeah, you know, oh, I won't get into it. I won't get into it. So, yes, I agree with you. And that conversation rubbed me the wrong way for most of it. I will maintain that I liked Spike's honesty about his yes. past. I thought Spike he, is not the problem he, was a, he was good in this episode. Everyone else was really annoying. And by that, I mostly mean Buffy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's kind of on a related note. I think this was the other thing that kind of throws this episode off a little bit <sighs> was like the, I know that Buffy and Whedon in general, you know, has this very specific dialogue <laughs> 
uh, style and I generally enjoy it. And I didn't dislike it in this episode, but I really thought everybody was really over the top and over the top comedic and over the top, but dramatic, but like with a comedic edge to it. And so then that also put Buffy's Buffy's own like tone in this really weird place. Cause it's like, okay, so Andrew, you know, is puffing himself up and he kind of gives this speech to Willow about how threatening he is. And then she turns around and does the same thing to him. And then like, you know, Xander and Anya are like playing good cop, bad cop, but this like really, you know, exaggerated heightened version of it. And so it was just like, we are really getting a little bit far from reality here. And I didn't mind it in those, in the Xander, Anya, Andrew Willow senses, but then trying to flip back to Buffy where she was also, I think being over the top, like, like I said, saccharine before it was just kind of like, I feel like we've usually the, the balance is better. I think between like humor and kind of witty dialogue that isn't quite realistic, but, and then like good grounded dialogue. And I felt like this one was like, all you guys just went balls to the wall on all of it. And it, it is a little bit off balance. I know. I agree. It, it did show it into sharp relief. And also I questioned the tone about like for a few of those conversations, like yeah, yeah. in the moment, like the interaction between like Willow and Andrew is a bit comedic, but also they're talking their about first interaction yeah. after the events of last season. It felt like an odd choice yeah. to me. Like I, I mean, and Andrew again, is going to, it's like, we're, we're sort of already forgetting, like not forgetting. I mean, the show reminds us, but like, this they don't know this yet, but like Andrew has literally just no exactly and is clearly struggling with it. But also like his his interaction with Willow is not like it's like he's forgetting that too. Yeah, like he's just like oh I'm you know a badass and like and you know in the the whole scene in the butcher shop too. Like I don't know. It just feels like a weird like I would feel like the way we've seen Willow this season her first discovery of Andrew would be a bit more traumatic for her yeah. and not so much like what the hell you know like yeah or even contrite maybe she should be you know like understanding that she yeah. he can still be villainous and she can want to take him in but not taunt him because she killed his friend and almost killed him yeah, yeah. I mean it, it doesn't help that he's also like justifying the events totally. of last season like oh well it's fine he was aiming for Buffy anyway like right. not helpful right. but also like it just I feel like that all kind of struck a strange tone too like it's like it's so weird because it's like while watching it I was like laughing I'm right like, oh. no exactly and then afterwards I was like wait this was weird yeah like, no I totally agree it's like not yeah. we're just not quite nailing it <laughs> Although I feel like if I were to go into a butcher sh- butcher shop and have to buy eight quarts of blood, like I would do the same thing and try to mask it with like, and I need all these other things because clearly I'm making a big feast. And yeah, <laughs> and I just need the eight quarts of blood. I did like that, but I also thought it was particularly amusing because like we've established how many people in Sunnydale are probably like buying blood all the time. <laughs> like I feel like yeah. Sunnydale is the one place where you could confidently just go to the butcher counter and say like, I need eight quarts of pig's blood. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> but I agree that it was like appropriate for Anne. Andrew. Oh, I also really thought the, um, like kind of one of the opening scenes was this like cutaway, you know, they're like talking about Spike and like how bad he's gone. And then there was like a great cutaway that like slow panned up Andrew, but he's dressed like Spike. So I I thought that was very fun. I really liked that. And I'm going, I'm also put a pin in it because I've got a comparison, a compare and contrast note for the episode of Angel (laughs) character introduction. So anyway, but I thought that was like a, that was a good, like fun use of, oh, a quick, you know, quick, fast one on the viewers but like that just was funny yeah. and worked so and also that andrew like can't pull it off because right. like, the butcher is like this is a butcher shop neo yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so i i did enjoy that stuff yeah 
Also, and that poor Andrew is still only known as Tucker's brother. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't really like that moment where Buffy was like, like Spike is like who, and Buffy's like, oh Tucker's brother, and Spike is like, oh, it's like, like he would. Spike never know. met Tucker. Exactly, like he would know who that is. That's <laughs> uh, weird. Um, yeah. Okay. Also, I speaking. We were kind of talking just on the on the note of like humor in this episode. I actually found it really funny that like Spike was being kept hostage in Buffy's room, and then Andrew is in Don's room, aka like the kids' room. Like <laughs> yes. Andrew is being held in like the kitty prison. That does make sense. <laughs> yeah, feels appropriate. I don't know if that's what they meant, but I I thought it was funny. Like because Spike was all like his whole interrogation with Buffy was so serious and mm-hmm. like in the grown up room, and then. Anya and Xander are, like, being really childish yeah. and, like, doing good cop, bad cop, and then, like, it's surrounded by Don's, like, you know, obviously, like, still kids-type room. and Yeah. yeah. No, I think that is a good a good observation. I feel like that is intentional. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it just seems fitting for Andrew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, sort of my final thought, though, and not to be, like, plot holes are not that important to me, but it did... <laughs> this Opening the seal... Okay, Jonathan didn't work for some reason. Never really explained convincingly to me why Jonathan didn't work. And but if the working uh, theory is because he wasn't enough, it wasn't enough blood. Like they didn't maim Spike nearly as much as they did to Jonathan. So I just don't believe that like four cuts on Spike is more blood than slicing through Jonathan. Well, do you think like Jonathan's blood is still in there? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I guess I just thought that was like, oh, whatever. This is where we're going to, you know, again, we're just like going to kind of play with the rules. And I just didn't understand what they were. No, I agree. That was a little bit strange. And I couldn't tell if it was like maybe just stabbing wasn't the answer because like the cuts. Right. Maybe need to be more ritual. Very ritualistic Mm -hmm. and shapes and things. And maybe it had to be vampire blood. Like it just seems like the first would know that. Seems like the first doesn't actually know what's going it on. It does seem like that. <laughs> okay, I guess you, you know what? Like, yeah, put, let's put a pin in that also for the rest of this because I feel like that's one of the things that is that doesn't work about the first is that it's at once omniscient and also doesn't know things. And it's like really, I'm like, but what? How? What things does it know? And what things doesn't it know? And I would like to know the bounds of some of that. So yes, what do they know? Whatever. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, but I don't like yeah. it. Also, I. The vampire, like, I, yes, that was a frightening looking vampire. Um, but the only thing I have to say about it, I think I kind of alluded mm-hmm. to it also, was like, you know, we got a lot about like the master is like the oldest vampire that they know of, and like he, you know, mm-hmm. and what really struck me though is like the master clearly seemed to be turning into one of those vampires. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> or, or was bitten like with more of a, closer pure strain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, but I was like, it does, it is interesting that like, the design of those seemed closer to the master than any vampire that we've seen since. Yeah. I think that's um, a good choice though, right? It makes it somehow oh, feel no, cohesive I think so. to me, and even though I'm not sure. It legitimizes yeah. this idea of like part of what made the master so dangerous right. was he was so old. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Um, but that just kind of struck me. I, I mean, other than that, I felt like that whole scene, like all the build up and like the break in and like all of this for like that, I was like, it was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, also, the fact that like nobody died when those um, 
minions like broke into the house mm-hmm. um although oh shout out to dawn yes. fighting yes like a pro and xander <laughs> i have to yeah no i actually did make a note about that i really like really scene i thought it was great to again we, we have kind of hit on this but yeah like dawn's been training xander's been around for a long time and they do for a long time make jokes about how he's not really that useful in battle but like both him and dawn totally held their own and he was actually the one that kind of saved dawn from like a dangerous moment and i just like i really like that scene i also thought it was just like a pretty fun fight scene but i was like oh they really they have been living on the Hellmouth for seven years, or at least many of them have. So, like, they should be getting better at this. And I like to see that they are getting better at this. Yeah. Also, I mean, the Summer's house at this point is just a Oh, my God. And poor so. Xander. He just finished fixing those windows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, should we, should we change gears and move into Angel? Yes. We should. Um... Oof, okay, so, uh, sorry, I had to get my bearings. Um, yeah, no, sorry, that, that was pretty abrupt. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. All right, moving on. <laughs> okay, I feel like I'm going to skip some things or something, but as usual. That's okay. Uh, so, essentially, yes, I mean, we're still more pretty much right on the tail of the last episode, but we do get reintroduced to Gwen Raiden in this episode, who was that, you know, dressed in red pleather electro girl that we saw, like, a few episodes ago. Um, who helped Angel get the thing he needed to figure out where Cordelia was or to reach her on the higher plane or whatever, something like that. Um, But she shows up, but also we're still in the midst of this kind of apocalypse that's been brought on by the Beast. He's still going around killing people. And in fact, the reason that she comes back into this episode is because somebody who's hired her, they're having a meeting and the Beast shows up and puts an arm through his chest and pulls something out of him and runs away. So she goes to Angel to kind of see if he knows anything about what's going on because she remembers that he's also like a quote unquote freak and maybe has some sort of idea. Um, And it turns out that they are able to put together kind of a working theory. So in the last episode, we saw the girl in the white room also get something kind of mystically taken from her. And so um, Wesley and Fred, you know, through rigorous research, figure out that these are both totems for the god Ra. And maybe the beast is tracking down the other members of that totem, which there's five total. So yes, they are able to quickly, pretty quickly decide that this is a pattern and that they should go and try and save the remaining by that point two um, members of this totem. Because we, I think at first they're not really clear what the beast is going to do with that, but it turns out he's going to use they're the whatever uh, each of these members of the totem has like kind of a piece of this tool that he can use to put together to turn out the sun, <laughs> make it permanent nighttime and then maybe even worse things. So they, of course, want to stop this. He's already got a lead on them. They go to a more local member of this totem, but he's already dead. And in fact, the last guy is there because he kind of knew this was going on. So they try and protect him. What was his name? Manny. Manny. He was very irritating. And they hide him out in Gwen's super cool, hidden, uh, fancy, fancy apartment. But while Angel and Cordelia are on guard, uh, are on guard duty, they both fall asleep and somehow he gets killed anyway. Uh, Also, I just want to point out that Gunn keeps reiterating that the girl in the white room said that the answer is among them in terms of like what's going on with the beast. And it keeps kind of leading everybody back to think that Connor is the heart of this. But 
after now the last member of this totem has been killed, they know that the beast has all the parts. He shows up at Connor's apartment because that's apparently where he needs to do this ritual or whatever. Fred and um, Wesley, again, come up with a plan together that maybe the way to destroy this beast, since they can't just beat him physically, is to shove him through a portal. (laughs) This is their go-to answer now to everything. Got a problem? Shove him through a portal. Um, So they are able to do that and set that up. They push him through the portal, but it doesn't work. And he comes back through the front door and then he starts talking. He hasn't really been talking up until this point, but he uh, seems to remember Angelus. So now they know that actually when the girl said that the answer was among them, it wasn't Connor, but it was in fact Angel and Angelus. And Wesley pronounces at the end of the episode that probably what they need right now. Angel doesn't remember this guy at all, even though he's certain that he would remember. But they say, oh, you know what? We actually need Angelus. And that's the end of the episode. I'm certain that I skipped over one or two other important things. But I think that was... Well, I think the fact that the Manny was killed in Gwen's panic room. Yes. So leading them to decide it was an inside job. (laughs) And it turns out it was probably Angel. So also under some... Yeah, well, we can talk about that too. Uh, Uh, Also, Cordelia and Angel are petty throughout this entire episode because of the whole Connor and romance thing. And Angel's like flirting with Gwen or pretending to or whatever. And it was just really... It was. Yeah. Gunn is also very petty. Oh, my God. Um, oh, he is. I, I wrote in my notes, this episode is a mess, but I don't hate it. Yeah. No, I totally feel the same way. But it is a mess. There was... Right? Like, it's... It feels like there's a lot going on, and I actually don't hate this, this plot twist that the Beast is... Like, the Beast's endgame is not just, like, oh, apocalypse, done. Like, that there is this, like, systematic ritual that he's doing. And, like, that a lot of the events of the last few episodes are really just small pieces of this whole. Where, like, his goal is to blot out the sun. And so that was why he locked down Wolfram and Hart and, like, all of this. I don't mind that. Mm -hmm. But I... There's a lot of plot holes, if you will. Like... Why is it Connor's apartment where this has to happen? I know. How the hell does Angel not remember something that Angelus remembers if the whole point we just learned about Spike is they that remember they are the same person? <laughs> yeah. Um, and also that, you know, Angelus is coming back and, you know, I, well, I will say I'm looking forward to the next episode because yeah, I don't, I'm, Angelus is always a lot of fun. I'd like to see an Angelus. I'm ready for something to liven this up a bit. Yeah. I I have a lot of questions around the mechanics of why and all of this, um, but that's okay. But I'll leave most of that for next time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just feel like there's a lot going on that I feel like should work, but doesn't. Like, I also like do not hate Angel's treatment of Cordelia in this episode. Whether it's fair or not is one question, but like, I found it slightly entertaining. Like, Petty Angel is fun, Angel. <laughs> um, so like, Angel... You know, trying to use Gwen to make Cordelia jealous, I found entertaining. And mm -hmm. I also like Angel, who, like, just doesn't care. Like, Angel saying, oh, yeah, like, because they're, like, ooing and aahing at her apartment. And he's kind of gleefully whispering, like, oh, yeah, I gave it back to her after I was done with it and it's worth $33 million. Like, I thought that was funny. Like, that Angel made that decision to be like, yeah, sure, you can have it. Yeah. (laughs) No, you know, I, I agree with you. And I really did like Angel in this episode. And I surprisingly liked Connor, which is like, you know, we're in a brave new world here where like I the people I, I hate are Cordelia. <laughs> the person I hate is Cordelia and I don't hate Angel or Connor. I 
mostly agree with you. And I don't want to get into spoiler territory exactly, but I just think it's impossible to not, it's impossible for me to have this conversation without, it's impossible to rewatch these episodes and care about the dialogue between Cordelia and Angel, knowing that ultimately Cordelia is not herself. So that is the thing that is ruining all of these for me, where like the last two episodes have been okay. You know, obviously the Connor drama is very stupid and I hate it. I don't know why they would bring that into it because everything else between Connor and Angel, I actually think has been like pretty rewarding. Like there is a moment at the end of this episode where he, you know, is really kind of recommits to protecting Connor. And I thought it was a great moment and I thought it was kind of earned, but the, just that they muddied it with this weird sexual content, I just really dis- dislike. But taking a step aside from that, it just makes every conversation meaningless, right? That's what's nagging at me is it's like, I wouldn't have hated most of this and I don't hate it because it more or less works for this episode, but for the future, it is not, it's nothing. Why even have a conversation? I don't know. I know that I'm like getting a little, I know that I'm getting ahead of things, but it just really infuriated me because I can't care at all about anything happening between Um, Angel and Cordelia. And I also don't like what's happening between them for the most part anyway. So it's just really, that was what ruined is what, what made this not an enjoyable episode for me. I actually didn't really even mind the messiness of it because that's just kind of how Angel the show rolls is it's like very complicated plot twists and plot assembly that need to get to like building a thing and then they stop it or don't stop it. I don't know. Like that didn't really bother me, but. No, I totally agree. Like I think it kind of ruins the effect for me because, um, like, we know Cordelia is sort of being controlled at this point. And it also is infuriating to me because I also feel like as much as I think that undercuts a lot of the action, the reasonings behind it, also, like, I feel like there's another direction they could go. Like, you know, Cordelia mentions in this episode, oh, I was up watching all of this and, mm-hmm. like, she has come back. So, like, why can't it just be that she was kind of hijacked on her way back, right? Yeah. Like, you know, why does it have to be this whole, like, lifelong thing that Cordelia like nothing Cordelia is going to do is going to turn out to have mattered and that's getting way ahead of it but I like watching it go down this way was like really infuriating like I was thinking about that but also like Cordelia hasn't had a vision since she came back and now all of a sudden she's having visions and they're weird and incomplete yeah and turns out it's not a vision it's just a memory like yeah that should be a red flag for everybody no I agree nobody's treating it that way everybody's feeling like nobody's questioning why she's not having visions like I was questioning in this episode like why isn't she having visions Mm -hmm. and there's kind of this general idea of like oh we're just cut off from the powers that be but like why yeah why why would you think that and also it is weird that she's not having visions and the whole time like before I forgot about the twist at the end that it was Angelus mm-hmm. but like the answer is among you I was like it's clearly Cordelia like she's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. turning all of these events like to go a certain way it's and true. like giving uh, Angel like half visions and like trying to raise the alarm about it yeah and, like, all of this and like it's all feels very suspicious and yeah I don't I just like that's the part that's a mess to me is like there's so much potential here for this to work mm-hmm. like as, as much as, like, I know I know that where this is going is going to infuriate me, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be this, like, yeah. total erasure of a character because yeah. there's so much about it. Like, I'm seeing this happen, and I'm like, this could be really interesting. This could go in really interesting directions. And to you're right. To introduce the whole Connor part of it and, like, the relationship drama and, like, all of this just feels, like so unnecessary and I don't know how much of it is a function of them trying to write around yeah. um, 
the pregnancy and all of this, but like it, it just doesn't seem necessary regardless. Yeah. And I, yeah, it does take away from watching all of this because it's like you can see where it's coming apart at the seams and you can also see all the ways that it didn't have to. Right. I guess because it's, it's not going to get any of the resolutions that would make sense. Or would be satisfying. Yeah. So it's frustrating to watch in the moment. Even though I think if I were a first-time viewer, this wouldn't. a lot of this stuff wouldn't be bothering me, at least not in this moment. Yeah. So that's annoying. I mean, I think I also want to just bring up... I Again, this goes up to, like, just suspend any thoughts you have about plot holes. But, like, how does this really work where they've localized the blotting out of the sun I know. and it's going to gradually I know. move across. I know. Like, That's I was like, this is. is the whole thing about this entire <laughs> no. plot arc that has never made sense to me is that sure. it's like isolated to Los Angeles Myst- and like mystical. later in the season, like Angel goes to Sunnydale and like nobody has any idea what's happening in Los Angeles. Like, yeah. Okay. feels like that would have made the news yeah. at least. I, yeah. I'm just going to say that's the big plot hole that bugs me about this whole thing is like really big events are going down yeah. and like everyone else outside of LA seems totally unaware. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like blotting out the sun, you can't localize that. You've either blotted out the sun or you haven't. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, no, I, it's on the whole earth people. Yeah. No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, I, I, I don't want this to just be a list of my complaints, but, um, <laughs> I, so I, I wish that they were better to gun also. <laughs> I feel yeah. like they made him the one who had to keep repeating the, the answer is among you line. And we know like Gunn is always wrong about his assessment of like the situation. And it was, it was just so annoying. Like Gunn doesn't have to always be wrong. Why isn't he floating around? Like, why don't we check Cordelia? Why don't we think about angel? Like they could just give him those lines also so that he's not just kind of always the one who's just, you know, like there is this dynamic where like he feels inferior to Fred and Wesley. And that's like clearly part of their relationship, but he doesn't have to be never right. I think that is just really starting to grate on me. And I also, again, where it's like, there is a good, so, you know, that, that Fred and Wesley decide that a portal is the answer, I think is a, is a fine, like, um, thorn in their relationship. And it would make sense for him to be sore about that as a subject, you know, like Wesley and Fred conspiring again to do a portal, like is certainly going to be like a wound for him, but that his answer was like, he, what he said to Fred was like, didn't you learn anything from that last one? And I was like, I think what you know, uh, the, the lesson wasn't never put bad guys through por- portals or rather that this is a demon and it's not a person. So like none of those lessons would hold. So I just don't understand why he didn't say like, oh, you and Wesley again. Like why? I, I just feel like they give him lines that don't make sense. Like Gunn doesn't have to kind of be an idiot and they sometimes make him one. And it's just so annoying. I'm like, there's the plot here functions and makes sense for that love triangle but the words that you're giving him to say don't make any sense so that bothered me I totally agree I I honestly found that to be both a super enjoyable part of this episode and a source of frustration yes yes <laughs> like you're absolutely right like they are connecting the dots in the right way where Fred and Wesley now have this history of conjuring up a portal against guns wishes mm-hmm. like working together obviously there's history there where Gunn is like sensitive about Wesley and Fred working together anyway and then also to do this particular thing and then they're doing it again but like to have it be like this surly oh you know it's just jealousy you shouldn't be doing this and also I don't agree with this because and also it's unsaid that Gunn has legitimate reasons to feel this way because he was sort of forced into killing someone the last time this happened and Fred is just like 
was so blasé about, okay, we're going to open a portal, but like also to kind of turn it into this like source of jealousy for Gunn that Fred and Wesley are working together. And it's like, I also feel like it kind of undercuts Gunn in a way that like the apocalypse is happening and he can't get past his own jealousy. Yeah, like, I just don't... I feel like Gunn is always about the mission. Yeah, like, yeah. I would expect that he could put that on the back burner. And, like, maybe it's that it's Wesley. But, like, also Wesley and Fred, like, Fred hasn't given any indication that she's interested in reciprocating yeah. anything from Wesley. And Wesley's also not even, like, hitting on her. He just clearly seems to be enjoying working with her. Yeah. And so, like, it all seems like a lot of... You're just being babies. Yeah. Over, like, very little. But, like, with legitimate roots that they're not really exploring in, like... Yeah, they just seem to be... Like, a satisfying way. And even Gwen being like, oh, so what happened? Like, English seems to be all over your girl. And it's like, I don't really get that sense. Yeah. Like, they're just working together. And, I mean, it is really funny to me that, like, Wesley doesn't even notice Gwen until she mentions the Beast. Mm -hmm. That he's just kind of off on the couch, like, reading. And he's like, oh, hey, someone's here. Like, he's just not interested. He's, like, totally checked out. But, like, yeah, so much about that I feel like I want to call that out as, like, something I did enjoy about this episode but at the same time was like just so like symbolic of everything they're failing at is like yeah like they have all these like amazing connections and story points at your disposal like why are you writing them in such a terrible way yeah exactly and it's like the like the actual plot elements are there and they're good but the dialogue is what falter you know like the motivations that they end up giving the characters or how they respond to these pieces is like always off a little bit I'd also be remiss and we don't have to linger on this because I think it was obvious but like I said oh the way that Andrew got introduced in the last episode was so like witty and fun and funny and the way that they introduced Gwen was just straight up ogling her and she has to wear this midriff top this man kit guy has to be a creep and they all have to get played for laughs I just did not enjoy it like that is the thing for sure it's not that Buffy has never had that as a flaw, but it is so much less common where it is just like always the, the, where the source of quote unquote humor comes from an angel. And it just is, you know, it's infuriating, but there's nothing to linger on. It's annoying and they often do it. And I think it's a bad choice. (laughs) Well, and it's so weirdly inconsistent. Like I remember back to the episode where Angel became like an old man, right? And the old man that swapped bodies with him was clearly a villain because he like thought this way. And then the show now is like, like pointing at Manny and being like, oh, ha ha, like yeah. the old man. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like that is something that hasn't aged well. But like, even at the time, like you've already kind of displayed as a show that that's not something that, like that's kind of behavior that makes someone a villain. Like, yeah. and then you're just like, and I don't know if it's like because he was supposed to be something other, but also he was supposed to be like immortal. Yeah. So he, he seemed a little like, immature or like oh right seems yeah. like, an, like an immortal being wouldn't actually think that way yeah because he would have learned a lot more but yeah so i, I did not. not like him or that yeah. source of humor okay but so i did say that i and i just to say it again you know say one nice thing about angel and in fact as we both said we didn't i didn't hate this episode at all i really thought the action was kind of fun I don't love the beast, but I think he's a pretty good, solid villain. You know, he's kind of the opposite of the first, which is like he's this very literal distillation of like what evil and demons should or could be. And then he just marches around and he is that. And I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with it. Um, So I liked him. I really thought the, um, you know, when they their plan, obviously it doesn't work, but to put him through a portal. And so they were like, 
Fred and Wesley are sort of chanting to the side, try, and then everyone else has to just sort of delay um, the beast from finishing his task so that they can shove him through the portal. And I thought that scene was just like really well choreographed. And they did this great like three on one, like Angel did a punch, then Gunn did a punch, then Gwen did a punch. And I thought it just like looked very cool. And I thought it was also just very satisfying. Like, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, again, like, do they make Gunn say stupid things all the time? Yes, and I hate that. But Gunn is also just like so unabashedly brave and like he's the only one in that group that didn't have superpowers he's just a dude and he was just like going up at it and I was like you're cool (laughs) you know so I you know I credit where credit is due I thought that scene was really fun yeah also credit where credit is due to the wardrobe department Mm. um angels should always wear hoodies (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was a good look I was like all right (laughs) yeah um especially because they failed so hard with Gwen's outfit so you know yeah yeah, could she be any more of a cliche? Bit. Probably not. <laughs> um, also, I think the thing that I don't like about Gwen is the way that they style her and like her whole treatment feels like she's out of some cheesy like Saturday morning like Power you Rangers know, basic cable yeah. like drama or something. Oh. Like, she just doesn't seem to fit in with the universe at yeah. all. Like I. She looks like a charmed demon. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody who's watched Charmed, you know what I mean. Hmm. But, like, yeah. Yeah. Which, I guess, is the same network. But Angel is usually, like, a little more sophisticated with this evil. But Yeah. I mean, and I feel like Gwen also just has so much potential. Like, I do love a great contradictory kind of, you know, hero. I mean, bad guy, but with, like, a good streak. It's always a good source. So it's annoying that they can't quite nail her. And I think Gwen is so interesting because she's clearly such a product of her circumstances Mm -hmm. and also seems to be fully aware of that fact. Like, as she's telling Gunn when they're, like, Mm -hmm. you know, staked out, she's like, okay, yeah, and that was, like, after the second gardener and the fourth nanny or, like, whatever. It was, like, she's so dry about it, but she also, like, is clearly understanding, like, yeah, I was a danger to people and this is where I ended up and, like, can you blame me for turning out this way? Like, I think that's such an interesting dynamic to explore and it feels so wasted to be, like, shoving her into like pleather yeah, and like yeah. angels like she's there for angels purposes right. to like make Cordelia jealous like yeah I don't know I it does feel like lost potential and again it's another thing where I'm like on the surface I enjoy this and the more I think about all the ways it could have been used I get really angry mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah but I have you know as of late I'm definitely turning around on Connor or at least I think moody because of all of the circumstances that have led you to this point is a lot more understandable as like, if we're going to depict him being this kind of moody teenager, I like that kind of emo wounded side more than his like really petty bravado, which is mostly what I feel like they leaned on up until the last two episodes, frankly. So I, I I have been in, I've been appreciating Connor at least in the last couple episodes. Like he's really grappling with something and he has no idea what to do. And I, for once, I think it makes sense. Like I understand why he's behaving and doing any, everything that he's doing. Whereas before it was always so, you know, you could, there you have a lot of options and now he he just doesn't have as many. Seems more like a scared kid. Yes. Yes. And you know, that scene where he, you know, he's, this is, I think the second episode in a row where he's like calling angel dad or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he's clearly just like scared out of his mind. And like, you know, maybe that's part of what made him the way he was before too, is like, he's trying to adjust to this new world. And he also is like trying to shake off all these things that he's been told his whole life. But now it's like, Connor seems to be the only one doing the adjustment where it's like, okay, the world is ending. Let's just like put the emotional baggage aside and like 
figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And like, and also, but having to do that while also grappling with the fact that he thinks he caused all of this. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it's making him way more interesting. Do I wish they hadn't tied him to Cordelia? Of course. Yes. (laughs) Always. Um, Yeah. But also this episode was making me, I mean, I think the answer might ultimately end up being no, but I was thinking watching this like oh am I actually going to enjoy this arc more than I'm thinking I will Mm. because you know as angry and frustrated as I am about the threads that I can see that they they aren't exploring like they still are there and I didn't remember them being there like I thought this was just kind of a wasted like story arc but like I don't know. Maybe it's not. Like, maybe I can focus more on the ways it's interesting. Uh, That's the only way I'm going to get through the rest of the season. We'll see. (laughs) But we'll see. I don't know. I think the answer, like I said, is going to end up being no, because we haven't even gotten to the most egregious stuff yet. So um, I guess, yeah, I'm coming around to the beast, but Mm -hmm. the beast is just the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Also, I don't know if you noticed, so one more thing I wanted to call out that kind of was like a gut punch at the end of the episode was cut to credits in loving memory of Glenn Oh, Quinn. yes, I Ooh. did. I know. Yeah. So I just wanted to call that so out. So this must be one. Yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. So I don't miss Doyle, but that's definitely sad. And it, yes, I did see that. And it was a little gut punch. I was like, oh, oops. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, all right. So I'm guessing the next episode is in tonight. <laughs> uh, for, for Angel. Uh, no, it's called Awakening. Okay, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, long. I get That's it. That's the only Journey. way I think I, I wouldn't see. have been annoyed by the name yes. of guys. Like, if they did it as, like, a two-parter. Yes. But. Nope. Awakening. And then for Buffy, we have Bring on the Night. Okay, that sounds like yeah, the they angel got them confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I meant to say this. I don't really have anything. I, I don't have any uh, connection. Uh, mm, I don't have any analysis for this, but it is funny to me that both of these episodes, you know, kind of made use of, like, Angel and Spike both being these like sleeper agents that are being controlled by something. Or I guess my analysis is, uh, I know it's not the same group of writers, but it did make it feel a little bit lazy watching them back to back. I know that I'm sure that they don't, that they were totally separate rooms and didn't have anything to do with each other. So I think it was just a coincidence, but it's just kind of funny. I was like, Oh, both of you (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah. It, that I actually didn't make that connection, but that is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we should wrap it up because this is going long. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, well, so like I said, bring on the night next week for Buffy and Awakening for Angel. Uh, do you have any pop culture stuff this week? You know, I do. Okay. I kind of teased it a little bit last time. Oh, yeah, a book? Because um, I was going to read Daisy Jones and the Six. Hmm. I have now finished Daisy Jones and the Six because it's a super easy, quick, enjoyable read. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that if you like the band Fleetwood Mac, definitely read this book because (laughs) it's sort of like what I took away was like, it felt like some author was very much inspired by the dynamics of the band Fleetwood Mac and, and took it in an original direction. Like it's not like a fictionalized fan account of like, it's not like fan fiction of like Fleetwood Mac and the making of rumors, but it reads that way a little bit. Interesting. Um, which I think is a positive. And in fact, at the end of the book, I was like, man, I really wish the album that was discussed a lot in the book was real. But in the meantime, I have rumors. So it's okay. <laughs> um, it's just a really good like story. It's like, it's basically the history. It's like an, it's 
it's meant to be an oral history of a band that had a very brief run in the late 70s and you're like talking to the different characters in the band and like different people and the whole story unfolds through these conversations that people are having which is a really fun structure um it flowed really well I thought it was incredibly well done because you get a full sense of like events that happen who these people are just purely from dialogue which is um Mm -hmm. a little bit different from a lot of novels um so it was kind of refreshing it's a quick read super enjoyable okay uh definitely recommend it cool uh i'm almost done with return of the king actually read a very climactic scene in fact the most climactic scene of the whole thing as we were pulling in to the station on the train this weekend and like almost missed the stop and then it like really ruined the flow i was like the worst timing imaginable i was like ah oh my god i have to get off the train right now or else the doors are gonna close and we had like scrambled but yeah so almost done finally i've been reading it forever so that's not really a recommendation, it, but it's been good. Yeah, I mean, I have no regrets. Yeah, I'm not done. I think that's really cool that you're you're reading those. Um, yeah, and now I can finally watch the movies. I well, so I am finally past the point I think where uh, I never knew for sure how the novels wrapped up. I assumed the ring was destroyed, but I didn't know the specifics. So I have now made it past that. Now there's just some kind of closing, you know, pieces getting into place. Um, so I'm not quite done, but I'm almost done. Have you never seen the movie? No, movies? I never watched. Well, I never watched Return of the King because I hadn't read it. And I shockingly, it's not a thing that. that people spoil. I guess because there's really not that, there's no like twist about it. it they're just, but no. there are details about it. So it's like, there's nothing really to spoil. It doesn't really like come up and, you know, like, oh, that shocking moment in Lord of the Rings when the ring gets destroyed is like not a big spoiler. But there is some shocking things. I mean, I think. Spoiler alert, I guess Frodo losing a finger. Yeah, exactly. That was, so literally we pulled into the station and it was like, uh, I'm sorry, Gollum had his finger in his mouth or in his hand. I was like, what? And then like, again, like, as I said, like we were about to pull out of the station. Like I had actually almost missed the stop completely. And it was like, oh crap, I have got to get off the train. So terrible, (laughs) terrible timing. Like if we had been like 30 seconds to 60 seconds differently, I would have literally finished the chapter and instead I just like finished at this really awkward scene. I was like, I, what? (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, so yeah, that was, it was shocking. It was shocking. I have to still think about how I feel about it, but pretty good. Okay. I don't have anything else. Um, Okay, so what team are you on? Sorry, I'm trying to go through all the moments in the episode. Uh, episodes. I don't know. I guess Team Angel. I thought he was okay. I didn't love anyone. I mean, I yeah, love Lauren. Lauren always gets really the tough. shaft. I, I don't know. I guess say Angel or... I, I yeah. guess... Yeah, <laughs> I... Um, mm. You know what? This is going to sound really bad. Okay. I'm Team First. Okay. Because the first blew up the Watchers. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think that's fine. I'm okay with that. Which honestly, I, mean, I just cannot tell you how much I felt like that was like just come up in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, totally right. I think it's supposed to read as like tragic, and I just don't take it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess only for that action, not the other stuff that happens. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, we'll be back next week. Yep, we will. Okay, talk to you Bye. then. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. 
You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.